Hey guys, welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. I know many of you are new here. This may be the first episode that you're ever listening to. If that's you, uh, hello, welcome. Glad you're here. Glad you found us. Um, however you found us, whether you Google searched how to become a better husband, father, disciple, or maybe you heard me speak at an event recently, or maybe Chris speak at an event recently. Just want to say welcome. We're glad that you're jumping into this podcast and part of the Dad Tired community. We are a community. We're not just a podcast. We're a group of guys from all over the world who are trying to figure out what it looks like to fall in love with Jesus. And then we, we're trying our best man to help our families fall in love with Jesus. So that's really what Dad Tired is. We got books and conferences and speaking and podcasts and social media, but all of it is the goal behind all of it is really just that we could help point guys to Jesus. That being said, um, I know that there are a lot of maybe young people. I just spoke at a high school camp this last week and, um, and Chris actually was just speaking at a high school camp in California. I was speaking at a high school camp in Oklahoma. And so maybe you're a high schooler and you just jumped into this episode because you want to hear more. Really, our goal is to help people fall more in love with Jesus and figure out what it looks like to be a Jesus follower and to learn what it means to follow the Jesus of the Bible and who is he and what does he require of us as his disciples and how does that change the way that we live our day-to-day life. And so we talk really specifically to dads because we're dads and we talk to husbands and we talk to men, but really you could probably strip all of that away and just like be a woman, be a mom, be a high school student. And I think a lot of this stuff is still going to help you. We really are trying to um, just help people fall in love with Jesus. So whoever you are, however you found the podcast, I just want to say hello. This is kind of a longer introduction than I would normally do, but I know many of you are just stumbling across the Dad Tired Ministry recently. And so I just wanted to kind of reintroduce ourselves. Chris, by the way, he's kind of a new voice around Dad Tired. Chris and I have been connecting this year or got connected this year and have been working a lot more together. We plan to work a lot more together here in the Dad Tired Ministry. Chris is the guy I go to when I've got Bible questions. The dude just, I don't think he'd be offended if I said this. He just nerds out on like the deepest levels on apologetics, on Bible and history and all kinds of stuff. So he's just a really, really smart guy, much smarter than me. And so if I like have questions like, dude, I read this passage or I'm trying to figure this thing out. Can you help me? He's my guy to like figure that stuff out. And so he's helping us out and dad tired in that way, like taking Greek and Hebrew and Old Testament and New Testament and Bible history and apologetics and all this stuff. And he's like helping us shape all of that and help us put it into language that makes sense for us in 2022 to live out in just like our, our normal everyday life. And so he's super gifted at that. He loves the Lord and he just loves helping people figure that stuff out. So he's a real gift to the ministry and helping us do all of that. So he's going to actually talk to us today about what spiritual leadership looks like. So this one will be geared specifically to you guys who are like, man, I, I really want to be a spiritual leader of my home, but I don't even know really what that means. I know I'm supposed, I'm supposed to do it and I know I'm supposed to want to do that but I don't actually know what that means. So that's what Chris is going to talk about today and next week. Really, really good stuff. I do want to say, though, before we jump into that, we have a conference, or conference isn't the right word, a retreat coming up where Chris is going to be sharing, but I'll be there. My goal is just to connect with dad-tired guys all over the country, and uh, we want to dig into God's Word. We want to sing songs together about God and to God and for God, Um, meet other dad-tired guys, just take like a weekend. I know it's hard for you to break away from your family. I know it's a, a little bit of money to do that. I know it's hard to like fly into Arkansas, which isn't like, no offense to you guys living in Arkansas, it's not necessarily the uh, thriving metropolis center, like the place where you go to <laughs> catch flights. 
I know it's difficult, but all that being said, man, it's just going to be really, really powerful. Like a bunch of dudes getting together and worshiping Jesus and digging into his word and figuring out how do we take this stuff seriously. And so I know it's hard, but if you can make it work, man, make it work. And, but signups for that are, they're going to be closing up soon. Cause we got to give the camp a final list. Like this is how many guys are coming. Here's how many beds we need and you know, food and all that stuff. So anyway, sign up for that. You can do that by going to dadtired.com forward slash retreat. I love you guys. I'm excited to spend more time with you. Anyway, I just feel like a little bit like I, I just miss you guys in some weird way. So I keep rambling, but I'll step aside now, let Chris jump in to give us a biblical perspective of what it looks like to lead our family well. Let's dive in. If you watch The Office, there's an episode that takes place where Dunder Mifflin Scranton gets a new manager, and his name's Charles Minor. And Charles Minor comes in, and he kind of rules with this iron fist, which is very different than their normal boss, Steve Carell or Michael Scott, who's kind of... He's just known for his foibles and the mistakes that he makes. But Charles Miner is a no-nonsense guy. And Jim is, he's historically kind of the MVP of the office. He's the least moronic person on the office. And then Charles Miner comes in and asks him to give him a, quote, rundown of all of your clients. And Jim has no clue what a rundown is. He's never heard of a rundown. He's never had one shown to him. He doesn't have an example of a rundown. So he spends almost the whole episode trying to underhandedly get an idea of what Charles Miner's looking for. Because he wants to do a good job. He wants to do a good job. He has the wherewithal to do it. He just doesn't know what a rundown looks like. So he's afraid of submitting a rundown to Charles that Charles would go, this is terrible. This is awful. This is not what I have expected. But Charles won't actually give him a format. He won't give him an expectation and he won't give him an end goal. I think for a lot of us as dads and as husbands, we can get caught in the same situation when we talk about spiritual leadership. It's kind of an expectation, right? The Bible makes it pretty clear that God seems to put this burden on man to say, you guys are going to be the spiritual heads of your household. And yet we can get stuck like Jim going, could you give me a rundown, right? Could you help me with what that looks like? And and maybe we've even undergone criticism or ridicule from our wives or from our church community that we're not leading our family spiritually. But sometimes we're stuck going, what does that even look like? What does that even mean? And so we're going to do a little two-part episode on what does the Bible say about spiritual leadership and what are these expectations on me and, and what should they be? And I think sometimes we get this situation where we think that the call for spiritual leadership is that we're having early morning 5.30 a.m. devotionals with our family, followed by a short, brief Peter, Paul, and Mary worship time with an acoustic guitar, and we are exegeting and describing New Testament Greek to our family, and this is what spiritual leadership looks like. But this would be remarkably and totally anachronistic with what the Scripture talks about. Anachronistic means the Bible can never mean now what it would have never meant then, and so the Bible would never have these expectations on a father or on a husband to be doing these things because a lot of the people in Jesus's day and age that were hearing his message were illiterate and they didn't have access to a Bible themselves. Their expectation was to go to church and to hear in the synagogue what Jesus and the other people, the apostles were teaching and then bring it back to their family. And so how do we model a reasonable expectation for spiritual leadership 
that one doesn't platform the aim so high that we as men are just going to fail so incredibly that it's not worth even trying, which I think a lot of us are in that situation. And the other end that, that gives way to sloth and apathy, where we think that spiritual leadership is nothing more than making sure our kids watch VeggieTales once a week instead of Cocoa Melon, right? That there's a line in there that the Bible paints for us pretty clearly, but without diving into it, we might not know which side to find ourselves on. So it's going to be broken down into two parts. And today we're going to be talking about the first part, which is attitude. I think spiritual leadership should be broken down into two different sections, attitude and action. What should the attitude of a spiritual leader, what should the attitude of a male father figure, husband in a marriage and in a family look like? And then next time we're going to talk about what does it mean then to carry out the actions of a spiritual leader. So if you have your Bibles, we always want to go back to the text so that this isn't some self-help guide or that I am some kind of guru that walks you through this. Because I tell you what, man, I am an absolute dumpster fire of a man. I try my best to follow Jesus, but really I'm limited to what scripture says. I lean into what it talks about and I don't want to make it say more than it says. And I also don't want to make it say less than it says. So we always want our gospel to be based in what Jesus says, because without it, we're like Charles Minor. We're like, Jim, we don't know what Charles Minor wants. We don't know when we're doing well. We don't know when we're failing. So let's just open the text. When we ask Jesus, am I doing my job as a spiritual leader of my household? What would he say? And it starts with this. I think Philippians chapter two gives us a really great picture into what it means to lead our family spiritually. So if you have your Bibles, open to Philippians chapter two. This was originally thought to be a song in the ancient Near East. The, the early Christians, after Jesus ascends into heaven, started reciting creeds, okay? So creeds are important. We have creeds even now in the Christian church that date back thousands of years. And a creed is really a response to oftentimes criticism of the nature and character of God and the nature and character of Jesus. So when the church would come under attack, the church would get together and make a creed and say, this is what we believe, This is how we get rid of thoughts like maybe Jesus was never actually God. Well, then we make a creed that says this is what it is. Or here in the book of Philippians, there is this idea that maybe Jesus was subservient to God, but he actually shouldn't be worshipped or acknowledged as being one with God. And so there's a bunch of bad heretical things that were running, floating around. And so the church, in response to these things, like the Athanasian Creed and the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed— The church gets together occasionally and says, we have to kind of catalyze and bring together our beliefs. And so they would do this through song and through creeds. And so this is thought to be an early church creed here in Philippians chapter two that helped us understand the metastatic union of Jesus. That's a big fancy word, but it it basically means the hypostatic union of Jesus. I'm sorry. That means that Jesus was simultaneously God and simultaneously man at the same time, fully God and fully man. He didn't let go of being God to become man. He didn't let go of being man. He wasn't 50-50. He was fully God and fully man. And so here's a creed they came up with. But the way that it's set up, I think is perfect for us to begin to grade ourselves on how we're doing as spiritual leaders in our attitudes. And here's what it says. Chapter two, verse one, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and that's where we start, right? If you're listening to this and you're a dad or you're a mom or you're a wife and you don't know how to be grading how well your husband is doing, 
if you're a wife or you're a mom and you're listening to this and you're seeking to grade your husband on how he's doing, I just want to challenge you first of all with to check your own conscience and your own heart and any attitude that we have as women that is simply seeking to see how well our husband's doing or to grade them in such a way to see if they're doing a good job probably is the wrong heart to start out with. We want to approach each other with grace and kindness. And this is what this section is going to talk about too. And so if our aim is not to come alongside our husbands or to encourage our husbands or to pursue the heart of our husbands or to pray for them and to to get on our faces on a daily basis as women and to be encouraging and uplifting our husbands, but instead to criticize them, then I would say, probably pause this. Let's have a quick prayer and a recentering of self because this is not ever meant to be a way to hold a grade scale up against our husbands and then to criticize them for the where they fall short. That should be the role of the spirit in their life and other godly men in their life. And we, we don't want to fall into that, that category. And we want to have right expectations when it comes to how our husbands and how the father of our children are doing. And I think the Bible gives us a clear picture here. Here's what it says. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, so this is for Christians, okay? The expectation is that you are first united with Christ. It's our source of where we're able to do these things. To pour out self, to love unconditionally, to be taken advantage of in certain situations and not feel like this is remarkably unfair. The way that we have the spirit to do that is because we are sourced, because God gives us the power to do that. The scripture starts like this. Paul's writing and he says, First of all, you have to be united with Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus, none of this will make sense to you. You're not expected to follow any of this, and you won't have the spirit that the New Testament talks about, Timothy talks about, not of fear and intimidation, but of power, love, and self-control. Okay, so the spirit that lives inside of us as Christians is what gives us the power to do these things. So if you're going to try to listen to the rest of this podcast, but you're not united with Christ, the expectation here is that you you don't have a, a love that is sourced. You don't have a spirit that is sourced in something that is both receiving so that we can pour out. If any comfort from Jesus's love, if you have any common sharing in the spirit or any tenderness and compassion, okay? So if you live like Jesus, if you want to live like Jesus, if you are found in Christ, then, verse two, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and of one mind. So he says, if you're not part of the Jesus family, you can have different family values, right? You can talk about different family things. You can have different family expectations. But if you are in Christ, we are of one family. And our data set the expectations of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a father and what it means to be a spiritual leader of our households. And we have one mind. Here's what we do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So selfish ambition, it doesn't mean that we don't do things that take care of self, okay? That's not selfish ambition, right? To eat, to drink, to hydrate, to work out, to do these things. It's not selfish ambition and it's not vain conceit. Now, you can do these things out of selfish ambition. You can overeat. You can eat like a glutton. You can go to the gym just so that your pecs look a little bit better because you want to show off, That's that would be vain conceit. But you can also do these things out of a reverence for self, out of a reverence for Christ, out of making sure that you're taking care of yourself for your family. Rather, it says, in humility, that word humility is important, it doesn't mean self-deprecation. Oh, I'm an idiot. I'm a moron. I'm good for nothing. Woe is me. Eeyore syndrome. No, humility, as C.S. Lewis says, is to have a right view of self. 
That doesn't mean too lowly. It doesn't mean too highly. It means a right view of self. Rather, in a right view of yourself, value others above yourselves. So once we're able to see ourselves appropriately, which means we are sinners saved by grace, destined for hell, but saved by Christ's work on the cross, we would realize that our value is found solely in Christ, that every breath I take, every thought I have, every dollar I earn, every friend, friendship that I possess is all a gift of God. So if it all belongs to him, I shouldn't really have a puffed up view of self, right? Rather, in a proper understanding of self, I'm able to see others above me. Now, what does it mean to see others above me? I I thought I should have a a right view of self. It means that I've got the self-confidence and the peace of mind to know that even when I lay myself down and allow someone else to prosper, allow someone else to take the spotlight, allow someone else to have first dibs, that it doesn't mean that I'm less of a person. It means that I've laid down myself in order to support somebody else. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. A great word picture I see here is think about a wedding day. If you've ever been to someone's wedding before that wasn't yours, you'll notice that when they do like the the dance with the bride and the groom, they don't invite you out on the dance floor, right? Or maybe you've seen someone do like a money dance where the bride and the groom go out and everyone can give like five bucks to go dance with the bride or dance with the groom and then they use that money on their honeymoon or whatever it is. You'll notice that if there's a line in front of the bride and the groom to do that and you go out and dance floor and you put your own money bucket, most people won't pay to dance with you because it's not your day. Are you less than the groom? Are you of less value than the bride? Are you less of a person than the two of them? No, but on that day, you can recognize it's not about me. Imagine going to someone's birthday party and blowing out their candles when it was, when it was time to finish the happy birthday song. You would never do that. Because you recognize on this day, they go first, they get the best donut, they get their favorite slice of cake, they're the ones who are going to be praised. They're gonna... The Bible kind of says, if you're having a trouble understanding what humility looks like, pretend like it's always everyone else's birthday but yours. Give them the best piece of cake. Let them cut to the front of the line. Understand that they are, and in a Christian community, if everyone's doing that with one another, you can understand that mutual service would be of the utmost importance. And even in a marriage, if you and your spouse both acted like today was the other person's birthday, what would you do? I remember on my wife's birthday, she passed away last year unexpectedly, and, and so that's kind of been a difficult season for us. But I, but I remember on her birthday, I would get up like before the crack of dawn and go get her an acai bowl from her favorite spot and then bring it back. And I would give her breakfast in bed. And obviously like just for the sake of stewardship and finances, I can't do that every day. But I remember on that day, it was no big deal because it was her birthday. That day was, it wasn't about me and my interests. On other days, I would have that internal monologue of like, oh man, I made the kids breakfast yesterday. Or, oh man, I packed the kid lunch yesterday. Or Man, I did this yet, but on her birthday, didn't matter. I get up first, I do the hard things, she wants to take a nap, I stay up with the kids. I just wish I was able to capture that on an everyday basis and how much better I could have served her if I just pictured every day like her birthday. So, not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who Being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. We call this the kenosis of God. That means the emptying of the character of Jesus. So, did Jesus deserve to be worshipped as God? 100%. 
Did he deserve to have people like on Palm Sunday lay down their cloaks and let him walk on top of their coats? 100%. Did he deserve to have all attention and all focus be given to him and worship constantly at all times with no one else having any preoccupation with anything else? 100%. When he was here on planet Earth, he should have had his feet washed and his head constantly anointed with oil and his way always and his desires, and he should have been the first one to eat at the wedding banquet. He should have been the first, but he didn't. We see moments of people submitting to Jesus in humility, like the woman who pours out the fragrant offering on Jesus's feet and wipes it with her hair. This is proper worship that he deserved at all times, but when we watch Jesus, we find himself, we find him constantly washing others' feet, submitting himself to their wishes, following what they need, healing their, their infirmities. So this says, it's basically saying, husbands, men, fathers, you have powers. This is not a call to weakness. It's a call to my favorite characteristic of Jesus, which I hope someday will be able to be ascribed to me when I meet Jesus face to face. It's the idea of meekness. What does meekness mean? It's not weakness. Weakness is, I don't have the power to do anything. I'm just weak. Meekness is power under control. It's I have strength. I have physical strength as a man. I have influential strength as a father. I have strength of language that I can use. I can change people's ideas manipulatively with my words. I can raise my voice and exact and change the tone of a room. I can threaten. I can, I have strength. I've got strength of my finances. I've got strength of, of my influence, my power, my persuasion, and my ideas. I have all these things, but I don't use them to make my name great. I love watching dads when they wrestle with their kids. I hate watching dads wrestle with their kids when they wrestle a kid like they do an adult. <laughs> That's the worst thing you could possibly imagine. We do something when we wrestle with our kids. We, we, when, we, when we're playing basketball with our daughters and our sons that are five and six years old, unless you're a weird type of human being, you don't play as hard as you do if you're playing a pickup game with guys at 24-hour fitness, right? You just don't play the same game. You let them shoot. You fumble over yourself. You let them block your shot. You let them take the ball away from you. It's not that you don't have the power to wreck them. It's that you have your power under control. You realize right then your power is best used to be leveraged to connect with your kid. The leverage of power is the mark of great manhood. It's not that you give up all the things that you have. It's, it's not that you are a weak person or you let your muscles atrophize or you never speak up. It's that when you use your strength and when you use your voice and when you use your power, you do not do it for your own advantage. You do it almost picture like a lever. You push on your gifts and abilities in order to move other people towards Jesus. The call of fatherhood is to take every bit of power we have and leverage it for the gospel of Jesus for our family. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. That's that. I love how Jared talks about that so much. The world needs humble men and Jesus' humility did not flow out of his weakness. It flowed out of his strength. You see, someone who practices humility is not the same thing as someone who has no capability. Humility is our strengths under control, not our weaknesses unchecked. It's our strength under control, not our weaknesses exposed. 
by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's basically saying if God can take every bit of power, persuasion, strength, and voice and action and attitude that he had and leverage it and walk so far and so low that it became obedient to a traitor's death. That's what that phrase is. Even death on a cross. To the original reader, that would have shocked them because death on a cross, who dies on a cross? In their culture, in our culture, it's a cool kind of fancy relic, the cross. But in their culture, that was a traitor. That was someone guilty of treason. That was a criminal. As one part of scripture says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a cross. He died a cursed death. Verse 9, because of that, because of that emptying of self, self, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a massive undertaking. You see how crazy that is? He empties himself, the kenosis of God, nature of God, did not consider equality, made himself to nothing, into a servant, human likeness, appearance as a man, humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And then it simply says, just do that. (laughs) That should start by all of us going, I don't have the capability to do that. Perfect. That's the gospel. The gospel is that as men, we should look at that and go, I can't do that. That's why we rely on the spirit in our life. But then how can we, in response to these things, act like and have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus? What does it mean then to model in our attitude the same as Christ Jesus? I'm going to give you guys a few things just as we wrap up. I call this kenosis leadership. It's a kenosis leadership. It's an emptying leadership. What does it mean to be spiritual leader of our household? It means we empty ourselves like Christ emptied himself. It doesn't mean that we're weak. It doesn't mean that we let people step all over us. Don't confuse kindness for weakness. That's not what it means. But it does mean that we are going to find ourselves in positions where we're going to get taken advantage of. It means we're going to find situations where we do the dishes three nights in a row, even when it's not our turn to do it anymore. And that means that sometimes when that happens, it'll never even itself back out. And that in some situations, even though we've agreed that certain attributes or certain chores are going to be for our spouse or for somebody else, we find ourselves in situations where they become ours. And instead of going, oh man, I'm getting taken advantage of, we look at the character of Jesus and say, if there's one thing Jesus had more than anything else. It was, he was taken advantage of all the time. See, servant leadership isn't an equality of effort. Servant leadership and spiritual leadership isn't an economy of fairness. Servant leadership is a laying down of that equality. It's a laying down of who gets what and saying, I know there are times in my marriage where I'm going to be taken advantage of. I know there's times with my kids where I'm going to get taken advantage of. But if I'm getting taken advantage of to serve and to leverage my strength for others, that's one of the characteristics of Jesus that we see all the time. But especially as men, we do not ever want to feel that kind of, that, that kind of meekness, that someone is taking advantage of us. And for sure, if your neighbor comes over and steals your packages every day, that's not what this is talking about. To leverage those things and and understand we're going to get taken advantage of means that there are going to be times in our marriage with unfairness or we're going to outserve or we're going to be doing more work or we're going to be giving up more time or we're going to be expending more energy and we never seek the day where the scales will be made right because Jesus has offset the scales for the rest of our lives. Ephesians chapter 5 says that. 
Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. That means Jesus. He's the one we're attempting to outserve, not our wife. It's not our family. It's not our kids. We're not trying to outserve our kids. We're trying to outserve our Savior. I'm not trying to outserve my wife. I'm trying to outserve my Savior. That's a much taller task, but that's the task that the scriptures call us to. Kenosis leadership, an emptying of self. It's going to be difficult. I love how M. Scott Peck, he writes a book called The Road Less Traveled, one of the more influential books in my life. And the whole book begins with a simple phrase, three-word phrase, life is difficult. I mean, that can be used for a lot of stuff that we experience as men. Marriage is difficult. Parenting is difficult. Fatherhood is difficult. Have you ever heard someone run a marathon and instead of calling it a marathon, they call it a difficult marathon? No, you would never hear someone say that because it's written into the word. No one ever describes a marathon as a hard marathon. It's running 26.2 miles, man. They're all hard. Sometimes we don't see our life or see our marriage or see our parenting that way. If you have a season of, of marriage that's difficult, it's kind of built into the word. If we ever looked at the word marriage and thought it was going to be easy, we just made a mistake. We should look at that word like marathon. We should look at parenting and fatherhood like the word marathon. It's going to be difficult. So what does it mean to have an attitude of, of a proper spiritual leader in our household? We're going to get taken advantage of. There's going to be times where we don't get what we deserve. And we're going to see our life as a lever to move others closer to Jesus. Servant leadership, spiritual leadership of your household when it comes to your attitude is to wake up every day and as much as you can, try to view that day as everyone else's birthday but yours. The great hope is that as you do that, everyone's attitude shifts in the household. I think about this sometimes and I'm kind of embarrassed to it, but it was my son's birthday not too long ago and he wanted to play chess with me. My son, my seven-year-old loves to play chess. And I remember sitting on the couch and I was working on something and I literally had this thought in my head. So, uh, normally I would say no, I thought to myself, but today's his birthday. So I'm going to get off my couch. I'm going to play chess with my son. Do you know how different it would be if I just saw every day as his birthday? I get it. Yeah. It it doesn't mean that every day you're going to Chuck E. Cheese or anything else like that, but you understand what I'm saying. You assimilate the information and understand the concessions we make when it's someone else's birthday or it's someone else's marriage or the moments that we allow them to have the advantage or to get the extra piece of pizza or whatever it is because it's their birthday. When we can live like that, I really think that's what spiritual leadership is. It's a humbling of self as a man to say, I have strength and powers and persuasion and abilities. I can be first. I can be strongest. I can be the most, but I will instead leverage all those things so that the life of those around me is easier and simpler and more joyful and that I model what it means to follow Jesus because Jesus did it first. I know what a rundown is. I know what the expectation is. I don't have to fumble my way through it. I can just look at Jesus's example. Kenosis leadership means we look at every day like it's our family's birthday and not our own. You will get taken advantage of. You will get second dibs. You will outserve, and it may never become fair. As long as you're equating fairness to what your spouse or your kids have done. Instead, I want you to start to measure yourself up against what Jesus has done. And once you've begun to outserve him and to outleverage him and to outgive from him and to out humble him, we still have a long way to go as men. I want to encourage you, though, that even if you're listening to this and you're attempting, remember 
that Jesus sets that high bar, but he also says, I have equipped you with the tools through the spirit that you can become more like the servant leader that I've built you to be. And next time we're going to talk about what are the practical steps and applications we can take to experience spiritual leadership and to be great spiritual leaders of our home. Today was attitude, kenosis leadership, everyone else's birthday. I'll get taken advantage of. I'm going to submit myself and use my power as leverage that others will become closer to Jesus. See you guys next time. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that episode and it was helpful for you on your journey of becoming more like Jesus and helping your family do the same. Just as a reminder, we do have that retreat coming up this fall. We'd love to have you come be part of it. You can go to dadtire.com forward slash retreat to get more information on that. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.